Hello, Survivor. My name is Ashley Hollick. I am a certified coach and owner of Phoenix Rise Coaching, and welcome to the Thriving After Abuse podcast. Inspiration, tools, and modalities for survivors. My very long story short is that in November of 2020, I healed 12 years of chronic debilitating back pain, and it was with mindset work. My physical pain was actually emotional trauma of an abusive relationship in my teens. My mission now is to spread awareness that this is even possible, because I didn't believe it, to inspire survivors of abuse that healing is 100% attainable and to share tools, techniques, and modalities to begin and continue your healing journey. On this podcast, I will be sharing my own personal knowledge and experience as well as bringing you experts in the trauma healing field. Welcome home. Hello, and welcome back to the Thriving After Abuse podcast. I am your host, Ashley Hollick, and today is going to be a solo episode. So today we're going to chat about the third stage of healing after toxic relationships that I've put together. So I think that these are the four most important pieces. And obviously, this model may not resonate with you. So just take what you need and leave the rest, okay? So I've broken down this long and complicated healing journey into four stages that I think are the most important. So stage one is awareness. This simply is the awareness that healing is necessary for you and that healing is possible. So this is shifting from the mindset of, well, I'm broken now or, you know, this is just the way that I am to a mindset of, I can continually grow and heal and fully thrive despite my trauma, okay? And I made this the first step because you really can't accomplish anything without awareness of it, right? If you aren't aware that it's even possible to heal, you're not going to take action and you're just not going to make progress. I say this as somebody who had chronic pain for 12 years and I frequently told everyone that, you know, I was damaged goods, right? And that is just not the way to healing. (laughs) So if you are listening to this podcast, you are likely already in this stage. And if you're listening and thinking that I'm a crazy lady (laughs) and that I'm wrong, then I highly encourage you to just keep listening until it sparks something inside of you. Okay, so that is stage one, awareness. Stage two is education. So if you haven't listened to the last solo episode I did where I dove a lot deeper into stage two, it's not a requirement to listen to this episode, but I would definitely check it out after as I'm going to talk more in depth about about education in that episode. And just really briefly, by education, I mean learning about all of the things that are related to your trauma, you know, what you went through, who was involved, and the possible healing methods that are available for you. So for example, if you're married to a narcissist, this could be reading books about narcissism and about how their brains are the way that they are. Um, And all of that can be really beneficial for your own healing because you can learn that you're not the only one who's been hurt by a narcissist, that it wasn't your fault, and that they would have done the same thing to anyone else. Also, learning about healing modalities out there can really expand you to the possibilities. Before a few years ago, I... (laughs) I literally thought that talk therapy and 
prescription drugs were the only way to heal. And that's not true. I'm a super busy homeschooling mom running my business, doing this podcast, and I have found so many, so many ways that I can heal from my own home and on my own. Yes, obviously I learn about them, but I'm able to do them and facilitate them with myself rather than going to a facilitator. And none of them are talk therapy and there are no drugs. <laughs> so, and just a disclaimer so that, you know, no one comes after me. Talk therapy can serve its own purpose. And if that's what you feel that you need, then, you know, by all means do it. You are responsible for your own well-being. And if that is something that is helpful to you, go for it. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk more about stage three, which is managing triggers. So I'm just going to briefly share stage four before we talk about the stage three and do a deeper dive into it. So stage four is implementation. And now that you are aware and you know about all of the healing techniques and modalities and um, tools that are available, it's time to actually put them into action, right? You're going to start trying them out and you're going to see what works best for you. The thing is, I can give you the exact process, the exact steps, the tools and, you know, the time frames and how I did all of these things to heal my chronic pain and my anxiety and my stomach issues and all of that. And then you can replicate it and do exactly what I did. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have the same results because obviously we are all our own unique beings. We have our own trauma, our own history, our own upbringing, our own generational trauma, our own parents, and on and on and on. We are just so different. And just like life doesn't come with a user manual, neither does healing. So this phase, this implementation phase is so important and it's going to vary from person to person. But I can promise that if you actually put in the work in this stage, you're going to start to feel the results. You're going to find what works for you. You're going to begin to enjoy the process. All right. So going back to stage three, which is managing triggers. And what do I mean by triggers and managing them? So first, let's talk about what a trigger is. And BT dubs, I'm not I'm talking about a true trigger that stems from trauma, not just like, oh, I'm feeling triggered. Right. <laughs> so. A trigger is when something reminds you of what happened right before or during your traumatic memory. And a lot of times it's activated by one of your senses, right? Smell, hearing, seeing, feeling. And the trigger is usually harmless, uh, but it can cause a body reaction as if you were in danger. So a common trigger can be a person, a place, smells, an object that reminds you of the trauma. It could also be certain emotions like somebody being angry at you or you feeling left out, right? It could be sounds or tastes or anniversaries, dates, right? And none of those are harmful. Like if you drive, if you drive past a street sign, that street sign's not doing anything to you, but it reminds you of it. And then your body reacts as if you are in danger. And any of those things that I've mentioned, they can all bring back the memory of the trauma. So when this happens, it signals to our brain that we're in danger, right? And so it activates the fight or flight response. I'm sure you've heard of it, which sends stress hormones flooding through our bodies. This is going to shut down parts of our brain and other unnecessary functions like our digestion and our reproductive organs. So our brains and bodies have been doing this since the beginning of time, right? Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but it used to be incredibly helpful when we were constantly running from saber-toothed tigers, right? We needed strong legs. We didn't need to worry about digesting our food in the moment. And then once you either fought the saber-toothed tiger or you ran away from it, your brain shut it down, realized it was safe, and then continued on with its life. But now, 
It's more of a weakness almost because today we're just completely flooded with all this tragic, horrific news daily, right? The mainstream media makes a lot of money by sharing the sickest and saddest stories and inciting fear, right? So the more horrific and disturbing it is, the better it is for them. And what happens when we feel fear? We go into this triggered state. And if you experience trauma, these triggers can be controlling your life. They can show up as physical pain and issues like my chronic back pain. It could show up as hip pain, chronic migraines, or it could show up as GI issues because remember, you're shutting down your digestive system. So it's not going to feel good. You're going to have a lot of problems. And sometimes this is just written off by saying, oh, you know, it's IBS. I personally went to the ER three times in my 20s because I had such horrific stomach pain. I thought my appendix had burst. <laughs> like the pain was so bad. I was like, there's something wrong with me. It was the weekend we had to go. I was like, there's, I think my appendix burst, right? And yes, they ruled out Crohn's and then they said, oh, you know, maybe you have IBS. But for, to diagnose that, they just like ask you a bunch of questions. And if you're, if you have stomach problems from trauma, it's going to be like, yeah, sometimes my stomach hurts. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they're like, Maybe it's IBS or maybe you just have gas, right? I was like, oh my God, seriously, I'm in the emergency room and you're telling me I have gas. Crazy. I also should mention that over the 12 years of going to so many doctors and physical therapy and the emergency room several times for not only my stomach, but my back, not one single medical professional asked if I had ever experienced emotional trauma. Not one, not one nurse, not one doctor, not anyone. Nobody asked. They always asked physical symptoms. Did you fall down? Did you pick up something heavy? Did you get in a car accident? Right? No one ever said, how are you doing? <laughs> All right. So going back, triggers can also control your emotional state. So when you're feeling triggered, your heart rate's going to start accelerating. Your breathing rate is going to increase and you're ready to run from the saber-toothed tiger, right? You're ready to fight. Um, you are in a highly activated aka very stressful, very anxious state. And this could also show up as being a perfectionist because maybe you're just terrified to do something wrong. You might have trouble making decisions because it could lead to something bad happening. That was a big one for me. I was constantly asked, what do you want to talk about? Or what do you want to eat? And because the relationship was so abusive and I was just always in a state of panic, I would completely shut down and say, I don't know, or like not talk at all because I thought my answer would be wrong and my brain wasn't fully functioning in that moment. It just didn't know what to do. I was totally frozen. And this is something that I'm still working on. <laughs> like 14 years later, my husband will be like, what do you want to eat? I don't know. You pick. I tell him all the time, you pick. And I also get really freaked out by silence. Like if nobody's talking, I feel like I, I need to say something. I feel like I need to be interesting. Right. And so it can show up in these different ways. All right, so what happens if we skip the stage of managing our triggers and we just, we don't learn how to manage them? Well, you're gonna get more of what you're experiencing. So you're gonna continue to have that chronic pain, the anxiety, the stomach issues, the stress, the panic attacks, migraines, whatever it is that you are experiencing, they're gonna be there still. <laughs> and there's you know this huge myth out there that time heals all wounds. What? Sure. Time might take away the pain of like losing a loved one. I know my dad passed away eight years ago and it doesn't hurt as much as it did in those first few years. But when it comes to this trauma that is stuck in our bodies, time doesn't do shit. <laughs> and if you aren't actively healing your trauma and your triggers, 
nothing will change. Let me say that again. Nothing will change if you change nothing. The time that passes is not going to help. I am very passionately sharing this truth because I suffered for 12 years and I had absolutely no idea that I could possibly heal. No idea. And every time I would throw my back out, because I threw it out at least eight times, every time I'd spend days in just like this complete fear that I was going to be in a wheelchair by the time I was 50, right? I was like, I'm 25 and I'm in so much pain. What is this going to be like in 25 years? Time's not going to heal you. I won't heal you even. I can share all the things that I've learned and all the healing tools that I've gotten my certifications and I can share all of these things. But you are the only one who can heal you. You have to put in the work. You have to test out the tools and you have to commit to this process, to this lifelong journey. And you can do it. (laughs) Okay, so hopefully you can see and begin to understand what is actually happening when you are triggered and why it is so important to start to manage them. And by managing, I I simply mean recognizing what your own personal triggers are because they're going to be different from everyone. Remember, it could be a smell. You know, the smell of oranges could be a trigger for you, right? If something happened and there were oranges involved, right? And what your triggered state shows up as. So it can show up differently for people. For me, I mean, obviously everyone's heart rate's going to accelerate and your breathing's going to increase. But for me personally, I start getting really sweaty under my armpits. <laughs> that's like when I know that I'm starting to get triggered. Um, my face gets really hot too. And so that's going to be different. It could be, you could feel stuff in your stomach. Your stomach could drop. You could feel really uneasy. So that's what I mean by understanding what it feels like. And then also learning and using, you got to use the tools to bring you back from a triggered state. And eventually you'll be able to stop a trigger in its tracks so that you don't become fully activated. And I believe that it is possible to eliminate your triggers with commitment and patience. And of course, showing yourself lots of grace and lots of self-love. Okay, now that you know why this is so important, I want to give you a few simple ways that you can get started today on managing your own triggers. So first, just start becoming aware, you know, aware of what your triggers may be, how it's affecting your mind and your body and what your triggered state feels and looks like. Okay, and then just open to the idea that you can manage these triggers and get better. You don't have to fully believe it. I know we talked about this, of the power of language in the last episode. So maybe say, I am open to the idea that I can start to manage my triggers. Just play around with the language so that your subconscious mind can start to get on board. Second, you can start a trigger journal. So every time you get into your activated state, write it down. You know, have a specific note in your phone or an actual notebook and write it down. Write what happened before the trigger, write what it felt like, how long it lasted, and then how you got out of the activated state. Did it just kind of go away naturally on its own? Um, What tool did you use? Just write what happened immediately after. So the more that you can begin to recognize what triggers you, you can start to prepare yourself for that experience. And then you'll start to see what tools were more effective and things like that. So that's why a journal is going to be really effective, because a lot of times it's kind of hard to remember our triggers. It like messes with our memory. Right. And so if you have it in a journal, you can look back and see what was helpful and what wasn't helpful and things like that. And another thing is you can't just avoid what triggers you. You need to become okay with what triggers you. And this is just a side note, 
a little rant of mine, but I personally think that trigger warnings are a bad idea. We need to focus on being okay with what triggers us and not letting it become a full-blown reaction. A trigger for someone who's had a miscarriage could be seeing a pregnant woman. And that is something that you need to become okay with seeing, not avoiding. You can't avoid every pregnant woman or pregnancy announcement on social media, right? You're not going to be able to avoid this. And writing trigger warnings on these social media posts just makes it harder for a person to get over How does avoidance help? It doesn't. It's ridiculous. It doesn't help. We need to work through them. A trigger is a signal that you have healing work to do. All right. Side note. Sorry. That was my little rant. Anyways, some of your triggers could, you know, be a street that you have to drive on daily to get to work. Well, what are you going to do? Are you just going to drive away that takes an extra 10 minutes every single day? No, but you can take a few deep breaths before you hit that road and repeat mantras like, I am safe, I am safe, I am loved, whatever resonates with you. And eventually, you'll be able to drive down that street without being triggered. And isn't that a much better result? Isn't that more freeing? Don't you want to be able to drive down whatever road you want and get to work on time or be able to stop for coffee? That's why we want to manage them so we can live our lives free free from our triggers. Another trigger can be, you know, the smell of french fries or a baby crying. Your triggers are likely to be just these normal daily occurrences and avoidance is a terrible, terrible strategy. You can't tell or expect people to not eat fries around you, right? But you can take back control of your life and manage your triggers. Okay, so we talked about becoming aware and about journaling our triggers. Next, I want to suggest a powerful modality, EFT, aka Emotional Freedom Technique, or tapping. I won't go into too much detail about EFT, but essentially it models the acupressure points and it involves tapping on those points while using specific phrases to shift our minds from unwanted emotions or feeling to what we desire to feel instead. If you're curious to learn more about EFT, I have a couple of journals that are available in my shop. I'm certified in EFT. I'll put the links in the show notes and you can also use the code NEWBFF10 for 10% off for being a listener. So the last suggestion I have for you today is the easiest tool. (laughs) It's one that I can do at any given moment. I can do it when I have my kids with me, when I'm out in public at the park, and when I start to feel a triggered state coming on. I've used it so many times and I've stopped my triggers dead in its tracks. I've been able to recognize when I'm feeling triggered and stop my body from reacting because there's not a lion. There's not a lion. And you know what it is? It's breathing. Simple, right? We're breathing all the time, but we're not consciously breathing, right? So basically, you're going to want to take deep cleansing breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. I would start with three seconds in and five seconds out and do it for at least a minute. If you can do it for three or four or five minutes, even better. But you want to take longer breaths gradually and continue to feel your heart rate come back down and your mind feeling more at ease. And why is this so effective? Well... If you can slow down your breathing, you can slow down the rest of your body. And that's something that I think about too when I'm focusing on my breathing is if I can slow down my breathing, I can slow down the rest of my body. Cool, right? All right. So I want to end this episode by encouraging you that healing is possible, that managing your triggers is possible. If I could do it, so can you. It does take work from you. It does take commitment and it does take a lot of self-love. But remember, Healing is a lifelong journey. 
It's not a sprint and there's no finish line. If you need more support, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or you can join the Rise and Thrive tribe where we focus on the four stages of healing. Sending you all of my love and I'll see you next week. Hi there, it's your host, Ashley, with a quick interruption. If you're listening to this episode and you feel the pull to begin or continue your healing journey, but you're unsure of where to start, or maybe you're just overwhelmed with everything that's out there and available, this is your invitation to join us inside of the Rise and Thrive tribe. Each month, I'll be dropping themed content in the form of video trainings, integration workbooks, and so much more so that you can focus on just one part at a time. The Rise and Thrive tribe will be your new community of other women taking an active stance in their healing journeys, and you can come with your questions, your worries, and your hearts. Oh, and the first 100 women inside will get a wheel spin and a chance to win over $1,300 worth of prizes. So come and join us for just $11 a month. See you inside. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please make sure that you rate and review and share this podcast if you loved it, if you found it valuable, and I will see you next week.